Hey, Fried listeners, just a quick note before we start the show. We recorded the first few episodes of season two before the COVID-19 hit the U.S. in full force. So I decided to go ahead with the episodes as they are because they are useful and I believe really powerful, especially during this time. If your burnt out brain has been given more than it can chew with this whole scenario, please know that I have opened up extra hours for free calls for anyone who needs them. An initial free call is 35 minutes and might be just what you need to help you get your head back on track. You can book your call at katedonovan.as.me forward slash free. I will definitely be putting that in the show notes, so don't worry about writing that down. It'll be available to you. And whatever you do, please make sure you're putting your emotional and physical health first. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Fried, the burnout podcast. Fried is the podcast for everyone who has ever felt burnout because of their job, relationship, or life. Kate Donovan, burnout expert, will interview a new guest each week who will share their burnout stories with all the gory details. Every episode will give you immediate action steps that you can take right now if you're feeling fried and crispy around the edges. Fried's main goals are to raise burnout awareness, kill the associated shame, and create a movement to end burnout culture. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Season 2 of Fried the Burnout Podcast. Today, I am very excited to speak with a woman that I met recently at a conference, and she was up on the stage, and she just stole my heart, and I knew that I needed to have her eventually, and it took us some months to get connected, but I've been following her on Instagram ever since, and I just love her more and more as time goes by. Today, I am interviewing Jenny Lewis Ford. Jenny wears many hats and loves them all, even the ones that make her hair look bad. As a brand and communication strategist, diversity and inclusion advocate, and published author in the Gratitude Mission 2, storytelling is at the heart of her career. Equipped with an ideal blend of creativity, marketing expertise, and foundation in human-centered design, Jenny has held senior-level positions at major financial institutions and collaborated with brands like Pfizer, Nikon, Panasonic, and the Teenage Mutant Turtles, to name a few. Jenny is passionate about about inspiring positive change and is the founder of Chicks Talk Radio and former host of the award-winning Two Chicks, One Mic podcast. She is a frequent TV correspondent and panelist sharing her thoughts on pop culture, politics, and how to drive cultural change through inclusion, belonging, and gratitude. Jenny spends her free time traveling the world in search of the perfect margarita and looks forward to the day when her kids are old enough to make their own breakfast. (laughs) Tune in to hear Jenny share her secrets to managing it all and how you too can unlock the magic of gratitude to live a more fulfilling, happier life. Jenny Lewis Ford, thank you so much for your time and energy being here today. I am so grateful for it. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I mean it with all my heart when I say I cannot wait for my kids to make their own cereal. <laughs> they wake up at 6 a.m. every single day. <laughs> oh, oh, my good Lord. This is why I do not have children. <laughs> I will sleep again one day. That's my mantra. I will sleep again one day. <laughs> we'll, we'll hashtag that. Yeah. Jenny, so we've started every episode of Fried the Burnout podcast with an overview of every individual person's burnout story. So I would love to create space for yours, and then we will take the conversation from there. Wherever it goes, we'll follow. Girl, I'm still burning. I don't know. <laughs> How long you got? How long do you have? Um, okay, I will share. I will share my most recent journey. I guess when the light kind of switched when I realized that mental care is self-care 
and I realized that I was kind of burning the candle at two flames for a long time. And I didn't realize, I just thought that was my pacing. And um, I'll share how I came to that epiphany. So as I just said, I am used to burning the candles at both ends. I'm the type of person where my life always happens all at once. You know, like if you don't hear from me for a few months, things are quiet and then everything happens all at once. I'll write a book, buy a house, get a new car, win the lotto, my dog will die. Uh, you know, I'll get run over a helicopter crash into my building. I'm not even making this up. It did. So everything happens like all at once. And I just thought that was just kind of the pacing of my life. And so when I happened to, um, meet the father of my children, everything happened really fast. Like I just went from being completely poor living in the Bronx, shout out to Harvey ramen noodle. Um, we were scamming to live like you know what i'm saying like scamming meals just living this i don't know how we live this life but we always had we always had tequila and cocktails and um, appetizers but we had no income and we were living our best lives in the bronx and overnight i got a corporate job making six figures met the future husband of my my children had gotten pregnant within six months moved to uh to staten island um trying to balance being newly pregnant with just starting a new job um, now having a husband and a kid to to have to manage and, you know, never, I had no idea where to get any type of, I usually feel like I'm my own inspiration, but I was tapped dry, like completely tapped dry. And I didn't know how to keep going. I didn't know which way to go. I didn't know, um, you know, I was very nervous. I didn't know what direction my life was moving into. And so I decided at that point uh, to hire a life coach. And I, you know, always thought it was very fluffy. You know, I'm not, a, I was never a therapy person. I was just kind of like, you know, I'm a grab your problems by the horns type of girl. And, you know, having a life coach was my easy way out of therapy because I felt like, okay, well then I could micromanage this process even more. <laughs> I can micromanage this process even more and actively work on fixing my life instead of just like trying to figure out why I was feeling very just tapped out. And at the same time, I had the podcast. I was doing comedy, stand-up comedy at the time. And when, when I met this guy, his name is Russ Terry. Um, he's still a great friend of mine. He was just so happy that it was almost obnoxious. And I was just kind of like, listen, I'm from the Bronx and Staten Island. I'm a New York girl through and through. So when I meet this person, he's just so bubbly. And I'm like, get out of here. This ain't real. This is fake. You know, like nobody can be this happy all the time, you know? And after meeting him and, and working with him for a few months, yes, he's really that happy all the time. And then I was just kind of like, well, can I be this happy all the time? And so he introduced me to a, a group um, um, and he wanted, he was writing a gratitude journal at the time. And he asked me if I wanted to join and I always wanted to be a writer. Like that was always on my bucket list. I had fancy dreams of being a published author and I was like, okay, well maybe if I join this group, they can hold me accountable and I can get this done. That didn't happen. Totally screwed up the group, dropped out. I was overwhelmed. I was going through a lot of life drama at the time. So I, I tapped out. I, I just was feeling so much pressure and this fear of failure. And so he wrote another one and then he asked me to join the second one. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it this time. And I did. And it was very, um, it was, it was very eye opening for me because you know, the mission was to find one day, one thing a day to be grateful for. And I'm so sarcastic and funny. I would start off like, I am so grateful. I didn't eat this whole bag of Doritos. Like, you know, I was just kind of, I wasn't taking it too seriously. I was trying to find the humor in it. And this, you know, after doing it for like a couple of weeks, something just clicked in me and it really opened up 
it opened up a, a new way for me to reevaluate the relationships in my life, right? And find new purpose in them. And I realized that I had like still a lot of issues with my mother, you know, and, and other family members or even my husband and like um, actively trying to focus on the gratitude um, for them made me realize that I could change that relationship with them. But then we're getting to the burnout part, right? So then I realized that I had this overabundance of gratitude for these people in my life and the things that I've been blessed with and my kids, but I had none for myself, not an iota. I was still negative self-talking. I was still hypercritical of myself. I was still um, very much holding myself to this level of accountability um, and almost like this Excel chart of things that I need to accomplish before a certain age. And I was causing my own burnout. It made me realize that I was the reason that I was burning out because I was just living this fully, like I, I just felt like everyone had these expectations of me and I wasn't living up to it. And I realized now without gratitude, no matter what, if I hit those expectations, I would still not be happy because I have no gratitude for my damn self. So no matter what I did, and I've done some amazing things, I just, it couldn't absorb. It was non-force, you know, it was just like, thank you next. I'd finish a really cool project and I'd just be onto something else. I didn't even sit in it. I didn't even sit in the joy of it. Like, wow, Jenny, you just purchased your first home at 30. Like, you know, like I didn't even sit in it. I was already onto the next thing that I was going to conquer. And then I was just left with like bone, a pile of bones and no gratitude and just like empty. So when I realized that throughout the process of writing the book, I, I decided to, to slow down right? I stopped doing my other podcasts. I just took a break. Um, I stopped putting all of these crazy expectations on myself. And I really started to reevaluate my relationship with me. And I'm still doing that. Okay. <laughs> I think it's important. That's not something that is going to stop ever. Um, I think, you know, as humans, we change every day. So, you know, the process of checking in and evaluating yourself is something that's continuous and I'm still there, but I'm a little less stressed. I'm a little less burnt out. My life still happens very fast. It still happens very much grouped together all at once. I feel way more equipped to process it now because instead of just um, burying any type of fear or emotions that I have, I actually sit, analyze, look at it, try to be a little bit more forgiving to myself um, and just, you know, and not be so rash to jump. So like I say gratitude really helped me understand that I was not grateful for me and there's only one me and I got to love me, right? We got to love ourselves. And I think if you can't love yourself, you can't even receive the love that you're expecting from other people. You can't really appreciate the things that you're able to do and, and move on from. And then you just stuck in this cycle of hate and yeah. And I think I wrote an article um, on my blog probably two years ago about the missing piece in gratitude. And it was gratitude to the self because I talk, I've been talking to patients about gratitude for a decade. And I had a patient in my office and so she was sitting there and I said, well, let's go through a quick gratitude exercise. And she went through and I said, yeah, but what are you grateful to yourself for? And her face just dropped. And she was like, what do you mean? And I said, you know, everything that you told me was about something else or someone else. What about you? And that was the first time I thought about it too. Like I hadn't thought about that before. It just hit me in that moment that I was like, this poor woman is like doing all this stuff 
that's pretty powerful. And there's no, there's nothing. And you said this sentence separated through the course of what you just said now, but that self-gratitude is a road to self-love. And you know what? I think that the way that we're taught about gratitude, it's something that like you don't really think about because when you're growing up, you just like be grateful. You hear from your parents, be grateful. And you just think that being grateful means thank you right? Thank you for this present. Thank you for this ugly sweater, Nina. Like, you know, like you you think that it's just an act of saying thanks, but if you really break it down, it's, 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 it's exercise. Like (laughs) it's a whole, whole body workout, right? When I was writing the book, it started off for me being very much from that childhood lens of just saying thanks or feeling thanks or whatever. But when I realized what gratitude really is, it's a tool, it's a tool and it could be used in any way. So sometimes when people ask me like, well, well, how do you show your gratitude? And I'm like, well, it could be that you um, put your phone down. Uh, when someone's talking to you, you give them the gift of your time, right? You show your gratitude through really listening and your appreciation through being present, right? Um, it could be that you forgive yourself, that you didn't get that car or that you didn't lose that 10 pounds, right? It could be that you say, oh, I didn't make my New Year's goals, but I'm not going to give up and it's okay because I did X, Y, and Z. And I think that the only way that people are really going to get how powerful gratitude is, is if we have more conversations about how to express it. Mm. Because it's not as cut and dry as you think. And it's not, it's not as cut and dry as I thought. Because it came, my gratitude manifested in the most unexpected ways. It could be, you know, I would, I would burst out crying from happiness when I would just really sit and look at the sunset or I would see my kids playing or look at a little drawing, the ones that I used to throw away all the time. And I'm like, wow, I'm not going to have this in 10 years. So, you know, gratitude can manifest and express itself in different ways. And I think most people just don't know where to start. They think it's just as simple as saying, well, I said, thank you. But did you feel it? Did you feel it in your soul and your DNA? You know, and, and did you try doing other things with it versus a thank you card? Or, you know, we, we only talk about gratitude around Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> and the holidays, right? Like, like we have a lot more to be grateful for than football and turkey. So like, <laughs> you know, why is it this a year long conversation about how we can find a new way each month to express it or something? You know, that should be kind of, I feel like that's the next step for gratitude. When you say that you feel it, so when I do a gratitude practice, I don't move on to the next thing I'm grateful for unless I feel a physical sensation head to toe. Nice. Do you have that as part of, not that you have to, a rule about it, but you feel something physical when you feel true gratitude? I do. And um, I I won't say that I feel it every time because I try so hard to keep gratitude like an engine running in the back of my mind. And listen, I'm still human. It's not always perfect. So sometimes I don't always feel as grateful as I should, or I feel a little sad, but then I try to wrap it back around. Not in that moment. Maybe it could be a day or two later and say, forgive yourself, you know? But the moments that I've really felt extreme gratitude, I felt connected to something other. Like it'd probably be the same feeling that people get when they say they get the Holy Ghost, which always skipped over me at church, all right? Like me and you, Jesus, we got to talk about some things, but I, you know, every, as a kid, I'd go and it'd be happening to everybody and it would just completely skip over me. And I'm thinking that's probably what maybe people felt. (laughs) Yeah. Your, your Holy Ghost is gratitude. Right. Like I, when I really feel it, when I really, when it clicks, when it, when it, when it sinks into the soul, I feel so alive. I feel connected to a higher source. I feel intentional. You know, I feel mm-hmm. personal about it. 
And, you know, I, I wish I could say it happens every day. It doesn't, but it's happened enough for me to know that this is real for me, at least. Like, this is it. You know, we don't know what's next. All we have is now. They say the present's a gift, right? But we don't know how to open it. And I think gratitude's kind of the scissors, maybe, that can help open that present. So what do you think about gratitude being used as a tool for spiritual bypassing? So some, some people are using gratitude practice, not as the true tool as you're talking about, not really in their bodies, but to sort of ignore their problems. Oh God, listen, I say this, there's two things I say about gratitude all the time. Being grateful does not mean you have to be stupid. Being grateful does not mean you have to give up on your dreams. It does not mean that you have to be happy with your lot in life. It just means that you have to appreciate what you have and the people you have in your lives now, because when you get whatever it is that you're hoping for, how are you going to appreciate that if you can't appreciate now? Right. And, uh, feeling grateful and feeling love for yourself, feeling love for other people does not mean that you have to be taken advantage of. It does not mean that you have to settle for less. And I really hope that, you know, like I feel like religion has been used as a, a tactic to oppress people at points in life that gratitude should never be uh, looked at in that way because gratitude is not something that should be forced on you. And that is the gratitude that we all grow up with, with people telling us that we should be grateful. And you're like, okay, whatever I said, thanks. Real gratitude comes from inside of you. And that's how you know if it's real or if it's fake, because if it's something someone's telling you, you should be, but you don't feel it. That's not gratitude. Yeah. When you can roll it back and look around you and really figure out that you should be grateful for, for your situation, grateful for your people, because there's something there for you, whether you realize it or not, that's when it's gratitude because it's something that you're actualizing inside. It should never be opposed on you. Yeah. And this was part of my burnout story, right? Like I got to a point where I grew up in not such a um, wealthy by any stretch, definitely on the poor end community where there was a lot of drugs and I got my clothes in a trash bag that were left over from other people and we picked through and I was I loved it as a kid and so when I was successful in my first business and I was making enough money to pay my student loans I was confused because I was so worn out that I didn't feel gratitude and this idea that I was supposed to feel gratitude made me feel guilty guilt that's my old friend Right? Like I came from nothing. I have a good life now. Why don't I feel better in it? Yep. That's, that's what got me. Everyone's like, you have the best life. I want to be you. And I'm like, why do I feel so crappy all the time? And I don't feel happy because I think, you know, we were taught that happiness is something that comes from things, comes from getting the, 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 the guy, you know, or the girl or the house or the car or the vacation or the money, but it doesn't. Because you can have all of that, like we did, right? And you could still be dead inside and not happy. And it's a real thing because, all right, as a woman of color, uh, growing up in a community of color, mental health was never a priority. It was never talked about. Um, even with people with real disabilities, they were, you know, I've watched parents say, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you, you know? And it's like, stop acting like that. I, I just think, especially for like African Americans in, in this in uh, in this country, particularly, we were never given the freedom to care about that kind of stuff because we were always trying to survive, right? So we're descendants of survivors by any means necessary, right? Which has this like magical ability to find a way to create something out of nothing, to find a way to manifest 
something, you know, when there's, when the odds are against you, but along with that lifestyle comes a very little, um, room for burnout, for mental health discussions. Um, I think we're now in the space where we're starting to really take it seriously and understand that this is a real stigma and issue because when you don't look at mental health, you have things like the crack epidemic in the, in the, you know, in the eighties. And now we're realizing we're in the space as a society where we're realizing that drug and substance abuse is a mental health issue, right? So when you have a whole community that's turning to substance abuse to escape their reality and they're being treated as criminals, it stigmatizes this whole cycle and this whole lack of accountability when it comes to mental health. And now, 20, 30 years later, we realize that this could have been solved with some therapy and some real advocacy and some real outreach because the real problem is that people were trying to avoid their realities, right? And they, or their realities were so bad that they really needed an escape and, and they had underlying mental health issues or an addictive personality and we weren't addressing it. We're just locking people up. Now the same things happen with opioids, right? And people are starting to realize that it is really about mental health. We as a community were never afforded, I think, that space. I think that's the space we need to start claiming now. Because even in my own stories, when I had moments where I physically, mentally was about to burn out and I would just need someone to talk to and I didn't really have a therapist and I would just talk to my friends and family, I would get the same thing over and over again. I'm not worried about you. You're going to be just fine. You're a strong woman. You're going to be okay. And I would be screaming almost. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. It's not okay. If someone, listen, PSA, guys, if someone tells you that they're not okay or, or that they're stressful, do not tell them that they're going to be okay. Do not tell them that they're strong enough. Just be there. No matter how we feel, we all have the responsibility and duty to try our best. But fighting back from fatigue and brain fog can have us feeling like we can't break free. You've heard me talk about it before. But feeling fried can have a profound impact on your health. Luckily, there are supplements out there that target that feeling and help revitalize your ability to focus and concentrate. I'm talking about Nadavim, a medical-grade nootropic formula that uses NAD plus to enhance your brain's mitochondrial function, giving you the brain that can unfry itself. The people at Nadavim have even extended a 20% discount code only for the fried audience, and you can grab it now at nadavim.com with the coupon code BURNOUT. That's N-A-D-O-V-I-M.com with the coupon code BURNOUT. One of my first rules when you're going to start any sort of burnout work is go see your doctor and have a full checkup because sometimes there's a vitamin D deficiency. Sometimes you have anemia. Sometimes there's, there's a physical component that can be easily fixed. But if you are a person of color who's going to your doctor and saying, I'm a little bit fatigued and I'm tired and I can't really, my emotions are out of control, they're like, well, the systemic racism that exists in our society says that's normal kind of, and they don't take you as seriously as they would take me walking into the same office or then a white male walking into the same office with the same series of complaints. That white male is going to get a full blood panel, maybe a CAT scan and something else. I'll get a blood panel with an eye roll. You might not even get the blood panel. No. They may not even look at a vitamin deficiency. You have to advocate for yourself. Which is another set of jobs that you have to do that other people don't have to do, which means... More burnout. Right. Exactly. And I have 
I have a son with special needs. This is why I always have to practice gratitude because that little friend guilt is always ready to come back. Always. It's always around the corner waiting for me. And if I look back, it'll be there like, hey, did he eat carrots today? Okay, you're a bad mom. No, all right. So, like, it's real because it's like, you, 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 says I don't know where to start or if I'm doing enough, you know, or if, if I'm making sure that he's getting the most help that he can get. And that's where I have to be like, look, girl, you are doing everything you can right now. You will just, just keep asking questions and you'll maybe meet, you know, someone that can have answers because I have coworkers whose kids have the same diagnosis as mine. We work at the same company. We have the same insurance. Their kids are in special programs, free programs that are like $50,000, extra testing, and they have, they have this unlimited wealth of information and resources. I'm sitting right next to the person who's going through the same thing. If I didn't ask, I wouldn't know at all. So it is, it is very unfortunate. Uh, we still have a long way to go when it comes to like figuring out the right balance. Like you said, advocating for yourself and understanding the stuff, it adds to the burnout. So, I mean, I'm not sure how we fix it, but it is something that people should be aware of. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how we fix it either. I'm really glad that right now, like I'm alive during a time where there are quite a few voices in the community that have become loud enough that we can't ignore them anymore, right? Rachel Cargai, Layla Saad, like we're, we're getting these big names that are coming out in a big way and saying, listen, you need to start listening to us, hearing us, and stop pretending that we don't exist, please. Yeah. And I, and I, I feel very optimistic about the future. Um, I see, I see a change in tides and I see a little bit more wokeness, you know, than, um, ever before. I think because, you know, people always want to like snap jokes on millennials and stuff, but at the same time, we've worked hard enough to give them the space to think about these things, right? Because we were trying to make sure that we can get these jobs and get this money and get in this space and equal pay. And we were going so hard there that now they're growing up with this, with this access and this, you know, almost, I hope it's not a bad word for people, but privilege. But with that privilege, right, they're now starting to tackle these things that we should have probably tackled a long time ago. Yeah. Well, and this is something that that uh, was brought to my attention a few years ago, and it took me quite a bit to unwind because I grew up in an underprivileged community. I didn't understand that I also held privilege because of not only the color of my skin, but also the shape of my body and, you know, and this kind of stuff. And I was a good student, which was praised more than it would have been had I been a different color. And when I moved to Poland to be with my husband, I got a job at an infertility clinic there's no way. And that started my whole career. That catapulted me to a different level. No way I would have gotten that job in Poland. And this, I know that that's not talking to racism in America, but still, even there, if I looked different than what I look like, I would not have gotten that job. And that job started my entire career. Maybe we should have a conversation about privilege. I think I do not understand the vitriol against this word. We all have some level of privilege. You don't acknowledge it then it's almost like you're acknowledging, you're not acknowledging the fact that other people don't have it, you know? It's yes. like the person that's like, I don't see color. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. This is not real anymore. We're not racist anymore. That was like 200 years ago. I don't see color. And it's like, you may not see color, but your homeboy does. And so does that corporation and that cop right over there. Okay. So I have privilege, you know? I'm biracial. I'm, I'm of the lighter shade of, of brown. You know, I 
probably have been afforded things because, you know, I'm cute, you know, and, you know, I can speak well or I have nicer hair and colorism is real. And so, like, I, you know, I think we, if we don't acknowledge that there's that that being having more European uh, features puts us at a little bit of a more of a privilege, then we're really lost. Like, we got to stop being so um, scared of that word. And I, you know, I work in corporate and I do a lot with communications and I've seen people literally that I've seen feathers ruffle at the use of the word and they get so defensive and it's like, but it's true. You may, your parents may have worked hard, but you didn't work hard for that, uh, automatic savings and good credit that you got. Like they piggyback to you and there's nothing wrong with that. They should piggyback you. Okay. But acknowledge it. Acknowledge that you got piggybacked. So maybe when you see someone stealing from Family Dollar, you don't look your nose down at them and say, "How could they do that? Just get a job." Yeah. Because it's not as easy. It's not that easy. By yeah. you not acknowledging that privilege that you have, you're basically saying that everyone has the same access to everything that you did in life, and that's just not true. It's not yeah. realistic either. Yeah. Yeah. Not, when I say privilege, I'm not trying to shame privilege shame people what i'm trying to do is bring it to the conversation because there should be more access there should be more equal opportunity i'm a i'm 100 get the opportunity there what you choose to do with that opportunity is up to you yeah i'm not saying everybody should have the same job with the same pay that you know this person with no experience should get this job just make sure that it's possible for everybody if he yeah. goes to school and works as hard as you do make sure that it's possible for yeah. that person to get a job too and yeah. they choose not to they choose not to but yeah. we should be more accountable for making sure the opportunities there. Yeah, and I think that there's, I, I, um, it took me, I didn't understand the vitriol against privilege either. And then I remembered the way that I grew up and, and I grew up in a community that is mixed, but is still mostly white. And the people that I know are working three jobs to survive. Like they do not understand that they have any privilege. And I, then, I, then I have to have the conversation with them that says, yeah, but when you send your teenage son out in his car to go get something, you're not worried that he's going to get shot on the way home if he runs a stop sign. Yes. And this is a privilege that you, not, you don't have to think about. And you don't have to acknowledge. We're not even talking about money. We're talking about basic safety. When you go to the doctor and you say, I have a problem, you're going to get better care, statistically speaking, because of what you look like. That's a privilege. So I think that people associate and have vitriol when they assume that the word privilege only is attached to financial security. It, it is a little bit of a tricky word. Like the first thing you think of when it comes to privilege is money. Yeah, right? Because it's, it's the word that was used before when, when you talked about the wealthy people. And it was always like wealthy or not wealthy. And now we're using this term when it comes to like social inequality, right? Yeah. So it's a little bit confusing. I do think the principle is to get where, what you're saying to understand it's not about money, but just about basic access to, uh, you know, rights in life. Yes. And you know, treatment and being human, being human. Yeah. You keep talking about the drug thing. And it's so funny because I had a C-section and they sent me home with Tylenol. Like that's come on. I could get that at the store. Yeah. But then there's that you're strong girl. You got it. You know, I'm telling you that whole thing. I got to cancel the strong black woman myth because with the strong black woman myth comes the angry black woman myth. It's the yeah. same point. Yeah. It's the same point, different sides. Yes.
So I get it. I know like we were discussing previously that like some people hate the term black girl magic and I'm not, I don't hate it because I, I think all human beings can be magical. And I think women are inherently magical beings and we're tapped into this creator, this creative source energy and we can make lives. And I just feel like when you really get that, it's, it's mind blowing. But I, you know, at the same time, black girl magic is real only because we have been forced to overcome so much and do so much with so little that it appears magical. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, I'm glad people are starting to realize it, but do you see how much we had to put here to get there? You know, do you see how much, 10 times how much work or six jobs or whatever, just to make this miracle happen, you know, and, and it's magical, but at the same time, it's, it's also not discussing the fact that there's just a higher, a higher price to pay for, for black women in the U S you know, I, I will say that like, I, I'm just trying to find the right words because I don't want to offend anyone because I am a granddaughter of a very Jewish white woman. And I love, (laughs) uh, you know, when we talk about color, people think it's divisive, but you know, the truth is that we just come in different shades. We have different cultural expectations. We have different cultural realities and that's beautiful. So I don't, I don't want to say like, white women and it sounds like you know offensive or aggressive but the truth is that we need each other you know we need allies you know we need male allies we need allies from other other women as well um but sometimes white women use you know use their feminism i think to still like not uplift inequality right and so like honestly white women are so powerful so proud. I was into a comedian and I love comedy so much because I sucked as being a comic myself. <laughs> and he said, white women are the most powerful women in the world. They're the only, only people that can come in and take over Brooklyn. And they took over Brooklyn. They own pit bulls. Like you guys can like, you know, you can conquer anything. I'm, I'm fully supportive. We're all women. So I'm supportive of the woman's journey and road to equality. Sometimes I feel like white feminism, there's a thing, it's actually a thing, yeah. is used to suppress people of color at, at some points. You, you saw the stats, they're saying that we're still not going to have equal pay for yeah. another 200 years, right? Yeah. So why don't we just do this together, ladies? Like, let's go, you know? Yeah. It always comes down to it. When it comes to men versus women, we have, the, we have everyone's back. But then when it's women versus women, that's when all lines are drawn. Oh, you know, she's aggressive or angry. And, you know, I, I felt threatened. And it's like, sometimes, you know, we could just be responding to actual real life negative stimuli that you're giving us. But because we don't present it in the same way, we become the angry black woman. Yeah. You know? And yeah. then we're a, a space where, like, you now have to save, save the white woman. I've had subordinates that have completely been disrespectful and I would take them into the room and I'm like, listen, you can't do that again. And they would start crying. And it's like, and then it becomes a, a moment where it's like, well, you just completely disrespected me and now I have to comfort you. Right. And also now, now I'm the angry one, even though what you did was totally inappropriate, 110%. And you know, the one time I cried in a meeting, I was told in my review that I was too emotional. And the I one was, time. The one time. The one time. And it was likely for good reason. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a man on the team, and he stole, like, my project, my idea, completely presented it as if it was his own. And I never in my career had that happened to me so blatantly. And, um, and the manager knew that it was my idea. 
didn't interject on my behalf as a manager should. A manager advocates, protects, and makes sure their team works, right? And uh, so when I pulled it to the side and let her know how I was feeling, she refused to acknowledge that it happened that way. And, and then when I got very frustrated, she accused me of being overly emotional about it. And then it was legit put in my review, like as an objective. To be, to become less emotional. Yes. <laughs> so ridiculous. Like a business objective, not grow this account or hit these numbers or earn this much revenue or. Regulate your emotions, please. Yes. It was, you have to learn to become less emotional during times of stress. Yeah, that's not exactly how it works. In the spirit of stick togetherness, I do want to take a second mm -hmm. to say thank you for showing up and having this conversation with me today because I do understand that it is not your job as a woman of color to come into white spaces and teach us all of these things for free for no good reason. I do understand and respect that. So I'm especially grateful that you are willing to come in and have this conversation in this way. So uh, before we continue, I just want to take a minute to make sure that you know that I'm grateful. Well, I want to establish my gratitude for you um, because I'm not, you know, I think there's always teachable moments in life, but what really one like attracted me to um, your podcast is that you made a safe space for people to talk about burnout you know, even just talking about it with you, I'm realizing, damn, it's real out there. You're giving a space for reflection. And, you know, sometimes we need to do that. I think it's massively important. And as someone who I really do focus a lot on the female entrepreneur, the whole book that I wrote is about female entrepreneurship. However, what we're not talking about right now on a major scale is something that I read in the 2019 American Express uh, State of Women-Owned Businesses report. It's like a 19-page report. Because as of 2019, women of color account for 50% of all women-owned businesses. 50% women of color don't even represent 50% of the women in this country, but they still own 50% of the businesses. So you were just clapping silently in the background. I mean, that, that is real. An estimated 6.4 million women of color-owned businesses employ 2.4 million people, right? There's a woman that was on Marie Forleo. She wrote a book. She has a system. Um, she created this idea of like, if we're going to create more equality and in income and we're going to give people better chances, our job is to create create decent jobs for people and create space for people to be able to work in a way that is um, that that is respectful of them and that gives them a place to show up and be useful and contribute and get paid for it. And so now we're saying that women of color are employing 2.4 million people in our country right now. Like that's massive. It is massive. And they, these are the things that you don't see on the news, right? <laughs> right. Luckily yeah. it's in this report. And I was like, okay, let's talk about this. And those businesses that they own and that women of color own and the people that they employ, all of that together is generating $422 billion in revenue a year. For the U.S. For the U.S. Yep, that's amazing. Can we find a way, please, everybody listening, can we find a way to support our women of color in our communities that are opening businesses? Can you please go shop at their smaller stores? They're not always smaller stores. Sometimes they're massive things. But make an effort to find out who in your community is doing something that you can be a part of in some way, that you can support in some way, that you can at least share their shit on social media. That's why I say social media is a blessing and a curse. Because yeah. You know, if you don't look at it for what it is, which is a great informational sharing, a way to build community, 
then it could trigger you, you know, and yeah. it trigger your uh, feelings of depression or like, you know, inequality or access or that you're not, you didn't make it in life or you're not living the life you're supposed to live. But at the same time, never before have we been so connected. How we, are we able to support businesses? People can generate whole incomes off of social media and really flourish with the right branding. And I love it because I do buy all my black products from social media. And I love yeah. that I'm able to see those advertisings there or um, hear testimonials because it's not on TV. And it's not on the radio or other traditional media uh, venues because we don't have that space yet. So right. people aren't talking about these stories. Again, the work is there. <laughs> you yeah. Know, there. But yeah. it's a beautiful story. And I'm loving that, like, again, creating your own way when there's not one before you. Yeah. Like, you know, not, not trying to compete in the traditional markets anymore and just doing your your own thing. And it's not easy. And I just interviewed on my podcast. Shout out to my co-host, Gion, for the Sorry Not Sorry podcast. Yes. Uh, check us out on iHeartRadio and anywhere that streams podcasts, Sorry Not Sorry. Um, we interviewed a uh, black-owned uh, CEO um, from Trade Street Jams. Uh, she was on Vice. And we were talking about, you know, people think it's so glamorous, but like, you know, there were times where she was questioning, like, can I do this? You know, and that doesn't go away because running a business is hard work. And she was just really questioning, like, is this meant for me? Should I give up? This is a lot. And there's always that point in every entrepreneur's journey where it's like, you're just ready to throw in the towel and give up. And then maybe some kind of higher inspiration comes and shows you that you're not supposed to do that. Uh, so she was sharing that tale. But, you know, it's, it's, you think about that one person, and I know how hard it is because I've owned a couple of, of side ventures now, and, and you say that 50% of female-owned businesses in the U.S. are run by, by black women. What's the impact of mental health there? Right. And this is what the thing that I think really needs to be explored because the burden that black women carry as they build businesses is heavier. They're not getting venture capital as fast. They're not getting attention as fast. They don't have as much access to the media. Thank God for social media. Like you're saying, like it has that positive aspect. They can get out there and they can do that. But how many coaches I just had actually had a conversation with someone who said, you know, we're looking for black executive coaches that can work with black CEOs, black female CEOs. And she's like, we can't find any. And I was like, okay, let me put out a call to action for you and I will gather you some names and send them to you so that they can apply to be part of this program. Like these things are happening, but we, what actually, I guess what my ask is for right now is if you are a white woman and you are in the space of entrepreneurship or even if you're not, but if you're in the space of entrepreneurship and you don't have women of color in your community at all, don't find a token. Don't go find one just so you can check off the box, please. But make an effort to look for it on purpose because that is the only way we get from where we are now to lifting everybody up. We don't do this separately. We do, we do, this, we do this together. And even so, like, I would say even start educating yourself like with yeah. shows like this. And then if you're not seeking it out, understand your own bias and your own privilege so that when it does come your way, you can fully understand how to support it. Yeah. Right. Or if somebody says you're not, you didn't do, you just made a mistake right there, which in my own journey through like pulling apart my own internalized racism and my own privilege, people have had to say to me, like, you just messed up. And I've had to backtrack and say like, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize yet. I mess up every day yeah. <laughs> I'm in the community. Like we can't be af afraid of that. Like right. I even have to really take a seat somewhere, you know, yeah. 
And I do want to, I do want to just touch on one point that you made. You said you were like, there was a call to action to help find black coaches or people of color CEOs or high, high performing executives. And you couldn't find any. Think about how that works also with therapy. Yes. So I'm a woman of color, right? And I like could not find a woman of color online therapist because I, my schedule is insane. I cannot almost go into into an office. And so I'm looking on these apps and it was very hard for me to find a woman of color to connect with. So I I ended up not. And they came to a point in my journey where I had to separate from my therapist because we did not agree on something that really boiled down to if it was a woman of color, they would have totally understood. So there's still like, like you said before, inequality and in, in, uh, when it comes to access to mental yeah. so to healthcare, but also healthcare. mental health care. Yeah. Not enough people that look like us that understand the nuances of being uh, brown in America to help people who are brown in America. So let's do a call out right now. Yeah. So if there are black mental health professionals that work in the online space and you need help finding clients or you have some space that needs to be filled, why don't you let us know? And I will add your information to the show notes of this episode so that people can find you. And if there is, which I have not found yet, and I have been looking, I have been making a concerted effort. There's not a lot of burnout coaches, right? There's not a lot of coaches, especially in this space in general. So I have not found a woman of color that's doing burnout coaching. Just actually, that's not true. I do have one, but I'm always looking for more. Good. I'm always looking for more. So if there is a woman in that space, because I do understand that I'm happy to coach anybody that comes to me. But if we get to a place where I literally cannot understand what you're going through because that experience is just not part of my existence, I want to be able to refer you to somebody who can support you in the way that that I can't. So please show up. If you're listening, please write in, send me an email at kate at katedonovan.com and I will make sure that your information gets out there. I will share you on social media. I will like you and love you and do all the things to support you because I believe that is part of my job here on earth. Mm-hmm. And it goes for men too. Men need- <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually think that the, the burnout space is opening up to men a lot recently. Um, and I did just do a podcast with, uh, with a man last week because I heard some feedback like, well but I'm a male and everybody you have on your podcast is female. And I was like, okay, okay, do it. Let's ju- let's jump in. Let me get you, let me get you a male of color and we can, we can do this. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. do it. Like I don't have to face the being afraid of the police on a day-to-day basis. I don't have to face that. I don't know what that feels like. I don't know what it feels. I don't know what it feels like to walk down the street and have people cross because they're afraid of you. Throat. Yeah. Cross the street or hold their purses tighter. Yeah. Or yeah. Elevator. And be afraid of me like you know yeah. there's there's realities that we are not exposed to we just have to be aware that they exist and yeah. that other people are you know going through it yeah have a little bit more kindness and empathy empathy for it i think yeah yeah if there was a message that you wanted to be sure got heard on this podcast if there's something that you just really need to leave people with and say like please please feel this please hear this please understand this please get this into your gut into your bones i just want to circle back on you know one thing that keeps coming up to me right now is that when we talk about burnout, some of it is external stressors, right? Can't pay your rent, can't pay your bills, kids in trouble, something. There's, there's always going to be external. Your manager is not sticking up for you. Manager's not sticking up for you. You're not, you know, you can't navigate your job or whatever. 
But then a lot of the burnout, and then my particular burnout was self-induced, right? Yeah. And I really just want to wrap it back around. If that's the type of burnout that you're going through, that you have to find some space to be a little bit kinder to yourself. Yeah. And, um, and that's why, like, for me, gratitude was that tool, you know, and I always thought it was something that I would have to, for other people, never realizing that it was what I needed for myself because I could not figure out at all how to stop feeling like crap, right? Um, no matter what I did. And, and, you know, and I'm a fixer. I'm the person you go to when you want something done. So it was very hard for me to swallow not being able to fix myself, you know? And it wasn't until that I started that the gratitude journal, it took me on this completely unexpected path of kicking guilt's butt out of my life for good, um, that it made me realize that I didn't have any self-love, period, for myself. I was just on go and that was a big part of my burnout so if i have one message is to just take a step back reevaluate where your burnout is coming from and if it's coming from inside if it's coming if it's self-imposed burnout like mine was to really try to understand that that's something that is that you can find a solution for you can get help for you can fix it you don't have to feel that way about yourself you should be loving yourself there's only one you and you really have to understand that your journey in this world is to figure out how you're going to navigate through it by loving yourself. I, that hit me right in the gut. Thank you for saying that. Jenny, again, I'm so appreciative that you took the time and spent your energy and wisdom and knowledge with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for having me and making sure that this wasn't actual live video. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we don't need to talk about how, what my hair looks like right now. Nobody, need, nobody needs to know. <laughs> thank you. I'm so proud of you for, for having a platform like this. And thank you for being a light in this space. I really appreciate it. All right, everybody, that wraps up another week of Fried the Burnout Podcast. You will find all the show notes at friedtheburnoutpodcast.com forward slash post forward slash Jenny dash Lewis dash forward. And I will include on that page within the show notes, all of the things that we talked about today. I will also include the link to this American Express State of Women-Owned Businesses report, because if anybody does need statistics to back up something that they need to do in their office or some initiative that they would like to push forward, I'd like you to have the access to that. So I will include that as well. Thanks for being here and I'll talk to you next week.